1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? The Incredible, Shrinking, Man. You are getting smaller. There's no medical precedent for what's happening to you. I, I simply know that you're getting smaller. I want you to stop thinking about us, our marriage. Some awful things might happen. As long as you've got this wedding ring on, you've got me. This is Orson Welles speaking. I have 45 seconds to tell you about something I think you'll remember the longest day you live. It's about a man named Scott Carey. A few months ago, he was six feet, two inches tall and weighed 190 pounds. Today, he's two inches tall and you can hold him in the palm of your hand. Now he lives in a world where he must fight for his life, a world where a friendly house cat is a predatory monster. Incredible, because it's almost beyond imagining. Incredible, because every hour he gets smaller and smaller. Incredible, because every moment the terror mounts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and back with me once again is my good buddy, Mr. Scott H. Gardner. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, I'm at the tail end of uh, of licking COVID, so uh, 
Yeah, feeling feeling pretty decent. Yeah, maybe if you didn't if you like didn't lick days. COVID, you wouldn't have caught it. <laughs> well, you know, those railings at work taste really good. I can't help it. That was I just I, I don't know I got a kick out of that when they first started with the vaccination. You know, and one of my friends was like, I just got vaccinated, and I feel like going over and licking some doorknobs. <laughs> so. <laughs> Ew! <laughs> oh yeah, it's totally <laughs> gross, but but I, I I still got a kick out of it when he said it. Uh, so today Scott and I are taking a look. We're going back in time. We're going back pretty far in time, and it was one that Scott suggested to me a while ago. We're going back to 1957 for the Incredible Shrinking Man, uh, the inspiration for Hank Pym, as far as I'm concerned, and. Uh, <laughs> This is one I had seen years ago, and then I hadn't seen it in quite a while. And, you know, when you suggested this, I watched it again. And I got to say, I think it holds up pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking. I, I had no idea. I, I've liked this movie since I was a kid. I have no idea when I first saw it. I definitely, you know, it came out in 57, uh, you know, uh, what's that, 11 years before I was born, so I definitely didn't see it in the theater. Apparently it's been re-released in the theater at least once in its life. I, you know, I've never seen it on the big screen, so, you know, it had to be on TV, and I, I'm almost positive that until I actually bought it uh, when it came out on VHS for the first time, now according to something I was looking at today, that was uh, in 1992. That, so that, that sounds about right uh, with my personal history with you know, having worked in video sales in its infancy and all that. Um, I remember when it came out on, on VHS and I bought it, and I think that's probably the first time I ever saw it, like, complete start to finish. Because I think the sequence uh, at the beginning when he goes through the cloud, I, I don't think I'd ever seen that before. I think I always came into the movie a little bit late, you know, just catching it, you know, flipping channels type of thing. Um but, you know, I, I didn't really know what kind of reputation the movie had or anything like that. So, um, you know, just kind of diving in for the purposes of this recording, you know, I was just looking at different websites and, and different things, you know, on the Internet about the movie and was was pleased to find that it seems to have a pretty uh, a pretty good reputation. You know, it's held in a pretty high regard as, uh, you know, several different sources I've seen have cited it as. Um, you know, it's regarded as one of the best science fiction movies of the 1950s. And I know I've always regarded it that way, but I, I didn't know how others felt about it. So, you know, it was kind of cool to see that, you know, borne out in, in other places. Because, yeah, I, I think this movie holds up remarkably well. Yeah, I think, story-wise, I think, you know, it, it I mean, it, obviously it's a science fiction story, but it isn't so tied into the science of the time that it becomes dated you know you, you could right. tell this exact same story today yeah you know you might just have to you know you obviously you know you have to update just the technology around them and probably the testing that the character would go through when as he was going you know, well I, you know what i'm going to back up for a minute here and say that was one thing as i was watching it was thinking boy if they had this happened now they'd have this guy locked in some room somewhere where they'd be poking and prodding and testing and, and doing stuff like crazy. But in this, you know, it's like, uh, all right, I looked at you, go home. Uh, so, you know, it is a little different. Well, I mean, they, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I see where you're going with that, but I mean, they they do uh, a lot of that. It's just kind of, it, it, I don't want to say glossed over, but it, they don't spend a lot of time on it because, you know, there is a part where you know the, our, our protagonist Scott is, uh, you know, he narrates a lot of the movie and you know, a lot of the different sequence, and there there is a, a short sequence that shows him like doing a what's it a barium swallow and and you know different things and he talks about you know the tests and it's and it's almost like every time that sequence plays in the movie i always think of uh of the grinch for some reason going the noise 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 because he <laughs> says and the tests and the te- and just the way he, he he says it almost the same way but using the word test so you know they they were doing a lot but i think it just got to a point where science kind of throws its hands up and and doesn't know and i I think that could happen today but but they would still say well we need to keep you in this facility and you know right right we're gonna take blood every 20 minutes and you know i think i think you really need an enema right now uh (laughs) i think there'd be all sorts of things going on and and you know if you wanted to make it slightly more realistic but you'd, you'd eliminate so much of the fun from the story and uh despite the the nature of it there is a fun aspect to it uh in my mind and just you know it 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 isn't you know it's 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 hard for me to put it into words because you know his his frustration is shown and the dangers he's in is shown but there's something about when as they as they show him shrinking uh that there's a, a sense of awe and wonder to it that creates a fun for the movie for me i don't know if i'm saying that well enough no no i i I understand exactly what you mean because i think you know that's one of the things that really helps the movie hold up well is that the the effects are very well done um you know it it relies on special effects but then there's a lot of stuff that's just practical um that just looks good you know uh, one of my favorite sequences of the whole film is after he's released from the hospital, you know, when, when science is basically done what they can for him and sends him home, um, you know, there's a passage of time and I'm not sure if it says how long the passage of time is, but there's a sequence where we cut to his home and we don't see him. We're just getting the back of the chair that he's sitting in and his brother's talking to him about, you know, money woes and that sort of thing and trying to encourage him to sell his story. Um, and then we get this this reverse shot that that shows him to us for the first time since this passage of time. And it's 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 one of those, I guess what you'd call today, like a like a jump scare type of thing um, where we see how how small he's become. And he's uh, you know, he's like doll size sitting in this big chair and it's. It's such a simple thing. It's such a simple effect, or it's actually, it's not an effect. It's, you know, they're just using oversized furniture, but it's so effective in the movie. And it's that sort of thing that, uh, you know, that kind of grounds it and, and gives it, uh, I don't know, it, it just has a certain verisimilitude to it. And and I like the way the movie plays because it's, it's very unusual, uh, as a film or even as a science fiction film, because it doesn't spend a lot of time, uh, you know, on the science. It doesn't really try to explain what's happening. Um, you know, what, what has caused this? Cause science doesn't really know. They speculate, they think they know, but they don't really know. 
And so it's really it's a human story. It's it's about him and what's happening to him as opposed to, you know, trying to get heady or science fictiony or anything like that. It's it plays it very straight. Here's right. this guy. This is his problem. And this is what happens to him. Yeah. And it's, it's not about how did this happen? It's about what are the what is the impact of it happening? Right. Right. Yeah. How does it affect this man? And. Yeah, that's the that's kind of the the thing about it is you know you talked about you know that it's it's kind of fun, and it is. It's just the the tragedy of it is he you know it's happening to him, so he can't appreciate, you know the the kind of the wonder of his situation because he's in it. You know, it's it's happening to him and it's and it's destroying him. Yeah, and, and, and then part of the tragedy is every time he adjusts to what's going on mentally, it gets worse. Right, you right. Know, they, 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 you know, he, he shrinks a little bit, and he, you know, they can kind of write it off and whatever, and he's okay. Then he gets even smaller. Then, you know, they, they, they eventually come up with what they think is a solution that they can't cause him to get big again, but they've, you know, they've stopped the uh, shrinking, and and then he he makes friends with the woman from the, uh, you know, from the sideshow. Uh, and and you know he's he's adjusting to it and he, and then all of a sudden he starts shrinking again, uh, you know and then he's living in a dollhouse and 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 you know the cat attacks him and you know I mean it's it's like what you know every time he makes the adjustment and you give him credit for making the adjustment, you know life comes back and and shits on him again. Right. Yeah. He he cannot catch a break in this movie because. You know, even when he winds up down in the cellar, you know, things continue to, to go wrong for him. You know, it's he, he makes enemies with, you know, this, you know, spider, which to him is a giant spider. And then, you know, one of the things and I, it seems to me that the last time I watched this prior to my rewatch for, for this recording, um, I'm pretty sure my son was over and, and his girlfriend and we were all watching it. And I remember the part where the water heater breaks and floods the cellar and everything. And, and somebody commenting, you know, that, that exact thing, this guy just can't catch a break, you know, because it is, it's like basically anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And, and, you know, you, you just, you, you feel awful for the guy, you know, he's, he's reduced to living, you know, inside of a matchbox underneath this water heater that's constantly dripping on him, you know, and, and then all of a sudden it just lets loose a torrent and almost drowns him. You know, he, he literally can't catch a break through this whole film. Yeah, it's it's I mean, it's it's tragic in that way. And I, I almost feel bad <laughs> describing it as fun. And I almost feel bad for having this sense of awe about it. But, you know, I, I think the way the film is put together, the way the story is put together, it, it balances uh, the tragedy of what this guy goes through with the awe of the science fiction that we're getting in it. Uh, and I right. think it does a really good job of that where, where you know, despite the, the incredibly heavy nature of the, uh, the events that, that transpire, you never, you, you, you never get totally down. It's not a depressing movie to watch. And 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 it, and it right. you know it ran the risk of of being that, with with what goes on you know just, you you know you're sitting there and you say my God this guy can't get a break, and and you can walk away from this movie if it's not done right and feel like well that was such a downer I I, I hated it, but 
it isn't that it, it was you know like i said there's, there's, there's an excitement and adventure and, and awe to it that make it you know in its own way fun to watch it's it's very unconventional in that aspect of the way the movie ends now i'm, I'm hoping that anybody listening to this you know has seen the movie or uh, you know, whatever, you know, there may be people that will want to seek it out. So, the, you know, this is this is very spoilery for you know anyone who hasn't seen it or hasn't seen it in a while that wants to check it out type of thing. So you might want to fast forward a little bit. But, you know, the, the film um, doesn't end happily for him. He basically shrinks out of existence at the end of the film. And from things I was reading, it sounds like the um the the director had a bit of a battle on his hands to get that ending uh, to be the one that that you know that was the final theatrical ending for the film because I, I guess they did some test screenings and people didn't like that ending you know they they thought it should end on a positive more positive note you know including maybe even him returning to regular size and stuff. And I don't know how I feel about that. I've always felt the end of this movie is a little bit odd. Um, but it's not completely depressing either because he's not defeated at the end. That's one of the things I really like about it is that even as he kind of feels himself go, um, you know, he's talking about how, you know, you know, to God, he's he still exists and he's still. Uh, you know, he's still a man, he's still important type of thing. And it, it's kind of, again, it's kind of an odd ending. It's kind of an odd train of thought, but it has a certain um, positivity and hopefulness to it too, even as he literally just shrinks away to nothing. Um, but it is, it is a very strange ending to the film. I mean, not, I, I mean, I don't, the, the, the movie to me, right from the get go, right from when this starts happening to him, has a sort of doomed quality to it. And I'm not sure why. I don't know what, maybe it's just because I'd seen it before and I knew where it was going kind of thing. But whenever I watch it, I, I feel like it has a certain sense of, of uh, tragedy and, and, you know, foregone conclusion to it anyway. So I don't, I don't, I really wouldn't like a different ending to the film. I, I like the way it ends as odd as that ending is. I don't know. What, what do you feel about that? See, I, I was under a slightly different impression than you were. I was under the impression that the studio wanted them to end it with him getting back to normal size and that they ran both versions with the, in front of the test audience and the test audience appreciated the, uh, the more ambiguous, you know, him continuing to shrink and, you know, where he would end up. I thought, I thought the test audiences went for the way it ultimately was shown. Oh, that, that I could, could be mistaken, that, but that, that's no, strange. no. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, like I said, I did just a little bit of looking into this. I really wish, um, I, from something I was reading, apparently there's a really good release of this out there somewhere. Um, where they did, you know, it's on Blu-ray and they did, you know, 4K restoration and all that. And it says bonus material, including commentaries. I need to get my hands on that because I'd like to know more about the film. You know, I mean, I, I, I really enjoy the film as it stands, but I don't know a whole lot about it. So a lot of, you know, this information is just stuff I've gleaned, you know, just doing a little bit of research for this recording. 
So, I mean, you, you may very well be correct. Um, either what I read may be wrong or I may have misinterpreted it. But, yeah, um, one way or the other, somebody had to, to fight for, you know, the, the ending that, it, you know, that it has. Yeah, well, don't, um, don't discount the possibility that I'm wrong either. <laughs> that, that, that is always on the table. Um, so, you know, one of the things I really just, I, and I know we mentioned it in passing, but I just wanted to focus on it a little bit. I really enjoyed it. You know, when you, when you consider how long ago this was made, uh, and the, the, you know, pretty much practical special effects that you have here, uh, I, I think they did just a marvelous job of, of showing him shrinking. You know, you start off, it's just, you know, he's in bigger clothes than he normally would be. And, you know, the camera's angle to make it look like his wife is taller than him. And that's easy. But then later, you know, when, when you're stuck into the point where he's the size of a child or a doll or something like that, and, you know, just building a set around him that's larger or forced perspective in, in the way they show us a shot. Or sometimes they clearly did like a, a green screen type thing where you could see like the outline around him uh but you know despite that weakness that that you could see the outline on occasion i just thought it was done well i thought the perspective kind of stayed consistent throughout and i think that was another place where you know there was a danger of them screwing up is is just in in the perspective as you went along uh and it felt believable as he was shrinking. And there were points where, you know, he's when he was like the size of a child in particular, where, you know, you're looking at him compared to the people around him and everything. And it, it, it just looked really cool. And, you know, in, in a kind of tragic way. Uh, so I, right. I just think it's worth concentrating on that and, and pointing that out because I, I was very impressed by that. This was directed by uh, Jack Arnold. I'm not sure what else Mr. Arnold did, but I'm going to take a quick look now. Uh, he did, it came from outer space. He did the creature from the black lagoon. Yeah. He did tarantula. So he was a science fiction, uh, specialist, uh, and, and, you know, science fiction movies that are well known. Uh, so I, you know, obviously he's not, not an unknown quant quantity. Uh, and the story was written by Richard Matheson who, you know, all, I think all of us geeks know, uh, you know, a lot of his work because, uh, you know, he wrote I Am Legend, which was eventually made into the Omega Man. Uh, he wrote uh, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, which is a favorite of a lot of us. Uh, right. I'm trying to think, you know, he wrote a couple of others that we would. Uh... I had thought he had done some Star Trek, but in a quick glance, I couldn't find that in his. Uh in his wikipedia you know because i mean he's he's got quite the entry anyway so maybe i just didn't see it here but i i had thought for sure that he did um some star trek uh episodes but i just i, I didn't see it listed here anywhere oh wait here we are yep, yeah he did the enemy within one of my favorite episodes okay oh, I, yeah. I thought for yeah he so, yeah he did some star trek he did 16 episodes of the twilight zone <clears throat> uh, yeah. One of the interesting things is he did a, an episode of the Twilight Zone called Steel, and I'm pretty confident that that same story was made into Real Steel with uh, Hugh Jackman not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. I think the, if I'm remembering right, the original was uh, Lee Marvin in it. Uh, that's all off, you know, off the top of my head, so I could be mistaken. But Richard Matheson is a, you know, well-respected science fiction writer. 
And again, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I think it's kind of interesting to note that the movie doesn't get overly bogged down with the science fiction. It gives you the science fiction premise and then it moves on to show how it impacts him in a real way. And I thought that was kind right. of a cool way to, to, to tell this story. And, uh, you know, it made it, it made it more relatable in its own way. Um, the actor who plays the main part is Grant Williams. Uh, I'm not particularly familiar with him. Uh, I got a James Franciscus vibe from him. Uh, (laughs) I know he's, he, he, he was known for, uh, I think two or three years after this, he was on the show Hawaiian Eye, which is not something I ever watched, but I've heard of it. And I didn't really see anything else in his credits that I recognized. Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, this this is his big thing. And from what I was reading, apparently he was not their first choice. They wanted um, and I, I found this really fun to find out that the guy that they wanted for the uh, for the lead was Dan O'Hurlihy. Mm-hmm. Now, he's the old man in RoboCop, amongst you know many other roles that he played. But that's what I'll always probably remember him best as is, you know, he, he's the old man in, in uh, RoboCop, you know, the one that runs the company. Right. And he uh, was kind of a rising star and everything. And he had just been nominated for an Oscar for Robinson Crusoe. And so he read the script for this, and apparently, uh, because it, you know, Scott is, uh, you know, kind of an isolated character, you know, especially after he falls into the basement. It's, it's, you know, at that point he just carries. It's just him um, that he didn't want to get kind of typecast in that sort of a role, so he passed on it. And then they went with uh, with Grant Williams because evidently somebody at Universal uh, thought that, you know, he had star material and that, you know, this this would kind of make him. And unfortunately for Grant, it didn't really work out that way. This is, you know, he he did do other things, but this is, you know, this is what he's remembered for. You know, this was his big thing, um, which is ironic because he becomes very, you know, very small thing. So, <laughs> yeah. Um. I'm trying to, you know, I, I liked, you know, just keep, keeping going on with the story. I liked the way they progressed things. Like I said, you know, with the showing him shrinking and also, but also, you know, kind of going into the, the dangers that that presented, uh, you know, for, first just being, you know, small and being able to be like run over by things or whatever, but then later, <laughs> later being attacked by the cat and then later being attacked by the, uh, spider and uh you know trying to get food out of a mouse trap kind of a cool thing right you know i i wonder if this inspired because i remember you know there's a scene in here where he takes a pin and he manages to bend it and turns it into a hook so that he could uh you know use it to climb and pull th- you know pull things down or whatever and that gave me the vibe of, and it's something I haven't watched since I was a young kid, but if, but I remember, you know, Land of the Giants as a kid. And I wonder if this didn't inspire that. It's entirely possible. I remember reading, I don't know if it's in the 
got the wiki article open here, but I don't see it on a quick glance. It was something I was reading talked about what happened to uh, the oversized props that were created for the film. And they did go to another production um, that was about, you know, little people. And I don't remember if it was that or not, because, you know, there was that and I, I, there was some other thing, too, where where people got shrunk down or something. But I, I can't remember. But, yeah, you know, you mentioned, you know, like, uh, you know, like Marvel's Ant-Man. Um, you know, I, I can't remember what year, like the Adam at DC got reinvented as a as a shrinking character either. I, I can't help but wonder if either of them were inspired by this movie. I would, um, I would have to look back to it, but didn't the initial story of Ant-Man in Tales to Astonish, wasn't that written as not a superhero story, and didn't it end in a similar fashion where he was just shrinking away into nothingness? I can't remember how it ended, but yeah, you're right in that he was not a superhero when he first came out, because it was one of those like horror anthology type of... Well, it was Tales to Astonish. you know, So it was a very... like not quite twilight zone but that that sort of thing yeah so, I, I think it was intended as a one and done yeah yeah i believe so i believe you're right so yeah it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if if this had some sort of uh influence on that yeah that that would not surprise me were there any other actors in this that, that particularly stood out to you uh, a couple of them. Um, the doctor jumps right out to me just because he's one of those famous, like, every guys, you know. Um, William Schaller. William Schaller, yeah. Now, I, you know, unfortunately, I'll probably always remember him as, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but he, he's a real dick in The Trouble with Tribbles. He's the mm-hmm. guy that runs the space station. Yes. And it's unfortunate to remember him that way because in most everything else I ever saw him in, he was kind of a sweet guy. You know, he seemed like in real life he was probably a really nice person, you know, a real, you know, real gentleman type of thing. But in that episode, he just makes you hate him. You know, (laughs) it was one of those things where I just wanted Kirk to hit him so bad, you know. Um, But I mean, he he was in a lot of other stuff. I, I don't know why, but I always remember him as the uncle from the Patty Duke show. Yeah, yeah, that, that says here that was one of his, his big claims to fame. It says uh, his known roles were on Richard Diamond, Private Detective, never heard of it, Death Valley Days, and then the Patty Duke show. Um, yeah, he's just, he's one of those guys, as soon as you see his face, you know, he's one of those guys, oh, I've seen him before because he was just in everything. I mean, if you look at his his list of credits between uh, movies and TV, I mean, the guy was just he was ever present in the, uh, you know, in the 50s, 60s, right up into, you know, right into the the 90s and and early 2000s, it looks like. So, I mean, he was in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he lived to be 93 years old. So, uh, yeah, he had a, you know, he had a good run as far as that goes. Yeah. And I mean, you know, all the big shows, too. I'm looking here at his TV, you know, Six Million Dollar Man, Barnaby Jones, Bionic Woman, uh, Archie Bunker, Little House on the Prairie, The Waltons, Lou Grant, Magnum P.I. I mean, just the list goes on. I mean, the guy was in everything. Um, I find it really funny that apparently, purposely, he's the doctor 
that Martin Short goes to in Inner Space, which is another movie about uh, shrinking. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And apparently they did it on purpose because he was uh, Scott Carey's doctor in this. So I thought that was that's really neat. You know, that's kind of a uh, what do you call that? A deep cut. But that that's really cool. You know, that they did that purposely. You know, it just to to get into a little bit, I guess, of the metaphysical thought process here, you know, with the science fiction, uh, I had put on Facebook when I was rewatching it, you know, the, in the, on the Is It Yours page, I had put that I was watching the movie, and Jeffrey Arnold posted something where he says, it presents kind of a profound idea at the end, as he shrinks into a particle, is he still considered a life form? The movie weirded me out. And I said, my Star Trek experience makes me believe that if you're, if you're, you're that you're a life form if you have independent thought. Uh, so then, uh, naturally, you know, one who will ne- never be, uh, deterred by such, uh, possibilities of discussion, Chris Honeywell chimes in, uh, I guess at that point as you're, you as a human would die. And since matter is neither created nor destroyed, but merely changes form, then are the remaining particles that once were you considered life still, and I, I went back to my, uh, or actually, no, that was, I'm sorry, I, I have to uh, back up on that. That was Jeffrey again. Uh, Chris said uh, something to the effect of, uh, I always wondered how you could get oxygen in your lungs when you're smaller than an oxygen mo- molecule, which is also <laughs> giving it like a crazy thought. But, uh, you know, right. you know, whenever whenever it's come up on Star Trek, you know, and it usually comes up with like a transporter episode or something like that. And, you know, I, I always go back to my thought is that if you're capable of independent thought that you're, you know, you're a living sentient being and with, you know, rights and whatever. Uh, so now in this instance, though, if he shrinks so far that he's no longer a physical being and he's just kind of, you know, uh, like his energy is just there, you know, I don't know that then, you know, that then you're considered to be an individual anymore. If it's just your energy, if you're not able to, you know, conceptualize where you are and what you're doing. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's always fun when science fiction gets you start starting to think about the broader picture. And that's whether it's on a science level, as I'm talking here, or, when they use metaphors for different things and you start thinking about, you know, when it's done well, when you start thinking about politics or, you know, just, you know, human conditions and things like that. Uh, I think that's the beauty of science fiction, that it allows you to do that in a way that isn't necessarily hitting you over the head with it. Right. So, right. So, you know, this, well, I mean, Go ahead. The the best stories, be, you know, be they science fiction or, or, or any genre, really, but especially in science fiction, I think the the best stories often are the ones that get you thinking about what if this were me, you know, and, and thinking about the implications of, you know, the situation that that the the person or the people are being put into, and that's definitely one of the things. I always end up thinking about with this movie. And I think that's one of the reasons it sticks with me is thinking about, you know, what would it be like to go through this and wondering what, what does happen to him? You know, I mean, we, we see him just kind of 
shrink and he says something about feeling his his body dissolving or something to that effect um so it it is a disturbing ending um to the film although again you know i i like that he's at the end he he's just kind of accepting of the situation rather than continuing to lament his situation as he does through through most of the movie you know and that that's the thing i i like about the film too is that it starts with him, you know, he's the first one to figure out something's happening to him. And it goes from just kind of a, a general uneasiness, like what is happening to, uh, you know, into kind of a despair about the situation to, you know, so he, he goes through like all the cycles of grief, you know, uh, in this situation, you know, to, you know, being angry about it, um, to you know, eventual acceptance at at the end of the film. You know, there's nothing he can do about it, and you know, accepting of of what's happening to him. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot to chew on with this one. It's it's not just you know your your typical kind of goofy '50s sci-fi movie. And that that's one of the things I, I like about it the best is that. You know, this is one of those movies that you, you might propose watching with someone who's not really into sci-fi, and they might go, "Oh God!" But then they'll find, end up watching. You know, if they pay attention to it, they'll end up watching it and, and you know appreciating it because it's not silly. It's not presented in a goofy way. You know, the concept may be a little strange, but I don't think it's a goofy concept, and it's played completely straight, which is one of the things I think really helps it a lot. Is that there's no tongue-in-cheek. There's no winky, naughty stuff. It's played completely straight. This is a serious medical problem that this man has, and, you know, what can we do about it? And, and I like that aspect of it, that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't poke fun at itself or anything like that. You know, I've always said that, you know, when you take any subject, if you if you play it a certain way, if you can play it completely straight, you can sell just about anything. And I think we've seen that happening a lot with like the Marvel movies of late and that sort of thing, you know, where they take some pretty far out concepts, but it's the way that they play them that you buy into it. And that's completely what works with this movie is you buy into it. It could have it could have been completely silly, but it's not. They they really make it work. Um, you know, we're talking about, you know, the different uh, actors and people in the film there's actually there's only one performance in the whole film that kind of bugs me a little bit because the way the guy delivers his lines is like he's reading them out of an old comic book <laughs> and he does kind of threaten the film in the scenes that he's in by his delivery and and I I think it's partially his delivery but also partially the lines that he has it's the one part of the movie where as I'm watching it, I'm always like, okay, here's where we're kind of, we're tipping towards silliness now. And that's the second doctor, um, Dr. Silver. Now I never watched the Beverly Hillbillies. It was one of those, according to my dad, it was one of those shit shows growing up. So he would always be quick to change the channel. We never watched it, but apparently he's best known as Mr. Drysdale, mm -hmm. the, the banker. Yep. Um, so it's, it's that actor. And when you watch the film again, just kind of pay attention to his delivery and especially his lines. Um, 
where they where he gives Scott the the serum or whatever that he's hoping will at the very least will stop the shrinking process. He has some line about it's like you know we you know we'll we'll give him this and then the other half is just praying or something like right. that and it's like right out of an old comic and you're like oh god what a cheesy line. it's so <laughs> cheesy and he delivers it so cheesy and it's it's one of the few moments in the whole movie where you're like oh no you know but but thankfully there's not a lot of that and and it's pretty much isolated to just him so, you know, the, the movie holds on to its, uh, you know, its verisimilitude and all that. But, yeah, he he's a little corny. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. But I until you just pointed it out, honestly, it didn't really register how corny it was. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there is a certain aspect of watching old movies for me. Uh, I don't know if. You know, maybe maybe it's my ability to do this that makes it okay to watch old movies where some people seem to be so bothered by them. But I try not to get bogged down with the uh, kind of the uh, the tropes of the day. Uh, you know, in, in something like this, like when when they say things, sometimes they'll be a little overly dramatic or overly cheesy or overly simplistic sometimes. Right, uh, and it's the same thing, you know, to to some to a certain extent with the special effects. You know, years of watching, uh, you know, the original Star Trek, uh, among other, you know, '60s and '70s science fiction shows, have kind of numbed me to, you know, special effects that don't quite hold up to the level that you know you need them to. Uh, and I'm willing to kind of overlook some of that stuff. And I, I hadn't even noticed that delivery until you just pointed it out. Now that you point it out, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, <laughs> but it, it didn't really bother me. And, and you know, I uh, I have to agree with your dad's assessment on the Beverly Hillbillies, although I did watch it on occasion. I mean, it was a really dopey show is what it comes down to. You know, it was, it was from that same mold as, you know, uh, Green Acres. In fact, it, it was related in some ways to Green Acres, uh, but also uh, you know Gilligan's Island, and you know just that, those sixty right. shows where, where you know people acted really dumb. Uh, yep. So yeah, my dad had absolutely no tolerance for that sort of show. You know, that's that sort of thing. So, um, but you know, one of the things, and, and I really thought about this a lot on this latest rewatch was I, I think any potential, you know, cheesiness or, or, you know, weird acting or anything like that, I think is, is heavily counterbalanced by some, um, I, I can't think of a better way to put it than adult material. And what I mean by that is, you know, this movie's made in 1957, you know, the, there's no sex, there's no, foul language, anything like that. However, for the year that it's made, you know, for, for 1957, I do feel like, in at least one aspect, it, it kind of pushes the envelope a little bit, and that's when Scott meets Clarice, the the circus performer, whatever she is, freak show performer. I'm, because... I'm trying to be more politically correct, and I called it a sideshow. <laughs> <laughs> Sideshow, sideshow. There you go, the sideshow performer. Um, 
clearly there's a spark between the two of them. And something I was reading, and, and I can totally believe it, I, I don't know if it's really true, but something I was reading said that there were a lot of things that ended up cut from the film that I don't know if they're in the original uh, book, the original screenplay, or if they were just ideas that got thrown against the wall or whatever. But one of the ideas was that um, that Scott and Clarice actually have an affair. I don't feel like you need that because I, I think it has a wonderful um, – kind of sexual tension, but also a, a tension of, you know, he's being tempted, you know, he's, he's already now he's past a point where he's no longer physically compatible with his spouse. And now he's found Clarice, you know, she's, she's young, she's beautiful. You know, they, they instantly have a, a, a connection to the two of them. So, there's a whole nother level and a whole nother subtext to the film with their interaction and everything. And I like it just the way it plays. You know, they, they never hold hands. They never kiss anything like that. So it's left very ambiguous, but I really like that. It also adds another layer of, of depth to the movie because for, for just a brief moment before things, you know, before life kicks him down again, for just a moment, um, you know, he he's he's found something, you know, this this other connection with with another human being that he lost with his own wife. And I like that. You know, I, I like the, you know, the, the layers of depth that the movie has. It, it's more than just, you know, just a silly sci fi premise. It, it really has, you know, some serious things to chew on in it i think if they had made it a sexual affair it wouldn't have had the same gravitas that it actually has right i i think you know what what they were showing is that he needed someone to ground him a little bit he's he was getting freaked out by what was happening and understandably so and he needed somehow for someone to relate to him somehow uh, and I think that's right. what he found in her. You know, he 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 found someone who had, at least at that point in his uh, shrinking, he had found somebody who was in a similar situation just by life as opposed to by some sort of science fiction thing. Uh, and she clearly had, you know, she was clearly very easily acclimated to it. It didn't bother her. Uh, and I think he, he found strength from that and... Uh, I, you know, I don't think it was a sexual relationship, although it certainly, you know, there could have been that subtext if they wanted it to be. And I guess if he had never continued to shrink, there probably would have been a natural progression of the relationship that, you know, would have gone there. Uh, but that wasn't the purpose of her part in the in the movie. And that wasn't her purpose in his life. You know, if you try to think of it as real. So I kind of appreciate that they didn't go there as well. Right. I, I think I think she she played a more significant role just by her presence than what they had to show us on the screen. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, I agree. And I and I really like her. I, I like her in the film. 
um, I looked into uh, her uh, biography a little bit just to see, you know, what else she'd done and, and everything. I, I didn't really see much on her. She doesn't seem to really be famous or anything beyond, uh, you know, this performance or whatever. But it was kind of a shame. I mean, she's a very pretty girl. And uh, and I really liked, you know, her, her performance. I like her role uh, in this film. You know, she's, she's not in it for long, but... Uh, you know, just some of my more favorite scenes in the movie uh, is is the interaction between the two of them. You know, that said, I always really felt bad for his wife because, you know, she is devoted to him through all of this. You know, she she stands by him and she's trying to help him through. But, it, you know, it's it takes a toll on her as well, especially when um, he really turns very nasty towards her and. That's one of the, the aspects of the film that I always felt could be explored a little bit better. You know, why exactly did he become, um, you know, just mean to her, you know, just kind of tyrannical. And he even acknowledges it. He even understands that it's happening. Um, I think it's maybe a thing where he, even he himself doesn't know exactly why he's doing it. And he's kind of helpless to stop it. Um, and again, you know, that, that adds depth. I, I just wish that it was maybe shorn up just a little bit better but i i do like that aspect and yeah i always, always felt really bad for her yeah yeah it's you know you it's just uh, one of the aspects of it as we're talking about his relationships and everything that it just comes to mind now is that when the cat attacks him and you know he, he ends up down in the basement they assume that he died, that the cat ate him. And right. there's never a point where they find out otherwise. It just occurs to me now that, that as far as they're concerned, yeah. that's when he died. Yeah, that's when the world thinks that, you know, yeah, he's gone. Like the the, yeah. the movie moves on and it shows him alive and we, we're aware that he's alive and, you know, we're following him. And, you know, even though they show, you know, like a news report, oh, the tragic death of the shrinking man, blah, blah, blah. Uh like it just seems like almost a natural story beat that at some point someone would realize oh he didn't die but but they they never go there and that's just you know an oddity to me i thought about that while rewatching it last night that you know i was trying to i mean having not lived you know in this year you know in that decade of of you know the the mid to late 50s um, I just, I don't know. I mean, would the situation just have been accepted on face value, you know, that up oh, the cat ate him or would there actually be, you know, I mean, this is where you really get kind of morbid, but you know, would they, would they actually try to find out, you know, is, is he inside the cat type of, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I thought a little bit about that and I thought, well, you know, then, you know, that then you're kind of cheapening, you know, potentially cheapening the movie and, and that sort of thing. But but I did think about that. If it were really real, you know, if this were really a, a real situation in that year, did they have not only the technology, but did they have the the inclination, you know, and and I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't really I, I wish I knew somebody well enough, you know, that, that had lived in that era to ask them, you know, what what do you think? You know, would they, have, you know, 
examine the cat, cut the cat open, you know. Well, I certainly, yeah, th- I certainly I, think technology-wise they could have cut the cat open and, you know, before it would have had, you know, kind of like the scene in Jaws when they opened it, cut open the shark to see, to see if the kid thinking. is in there. I was thinking the same thing. They pull a license plate out of the cat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I did think of that, but, you know, I, I also think that, you know, it was, it was a different time when people – now, again, this is me never having lived there. This is me, you know, in, in my pop culture uh, osmosis of the 50s. You know, but it seems anyway that people were more uh, decent and respectful of each other and a little more morally in tuned and that sort of thing. So maybe it would be a matter of of respect, you know, that that, you know, plus. You know, the other thing, too, is that I always get a, just slightly annoyed that they didn't. And, and of course, we don't see it, but it feels like she she finds the piece of bloody cloth. She sees the cat licking its paws. And it's just at that moment, nope, he's gone. He's dead. The cat ate him. We never see the house get searched. And that's that is actually a moment I think would have been important is to see her at least scramble around try to find a body try to find more evidence you know or or lack of it you know it's that sort of thing but we we'd never get that so it creates the impression that they never looked for him yeah it does and it does that, leave you with that always, impression and i had the same yeah. thought process yeah that's always bugged me just a little bit that neither her or scott's brother ever appear that they actually search for him and that, yeah, that's just one of those things that, you know, I, I don't know how they could have done it differently, I guess. Maybe just, you know, have a little brief search montage scene or something. But, did, but yeah. Did you ever see the Monty Python skit, The Cheese Shop? Yes. Where, where they're, they're asking for all different types of cheeses and he doesn't have anything. Uh, and he's always got an excuse for why he doesn't have it. And at one point, they, he, you know, he says, "Oh, we have that. Oh, well, then I'll take it." Whoops, the cat got it. <laughs> that's just what, <laughs> that's what this made me think of. <laughs> you know, I, I guess the, the 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 other takeaway from this is that you can go with is that uh, if this happened today, if you were to remake this today, you'd have to show a much much more significant media circus over what was going on you know this this would not just be a a, a passing uh human interest story on the nightly news this would be uh all over the internet this would be all over you know every television show that they could possibly uh right. cover it on uh you know besides the fact that he would be poked and prodded to no end my my only thoughts on that are I'm thankful of two things. I'm thankful there was never a sequel because apparently that was bandied about. And one of the ideas that was out there was that Louise, his wife, shortly after all this, would then find herself shrinking. And I think that's a terrible idea. So I'm really glad there was never a sequel. Um, But I'm also really glad, uh, you know, despite the idea having come up several times over the years, that there's never been a direct remake of this movie. There was, you know, the Lily Tomlin comedy and all that. And apparently this was bandied about as a remake for um, what's his name? Eddie Murphy. Oh, God, as a comedy remake. 
I'm really glad they've never touched this. I, you know, probably eventually because it's just what Hollywood does. Probably eventually there will be a remake or whatever, but I hope I'm long gone before any of that ever happens. Cause I think the movie stands as what it is. You know, it's, it's very charming. It's kind of haunting. Um, it holds up really well, you know, for its, for its time and its age. I think the effects are still really good. I think the story is really good. I think it's, you know, you said it yourself. It's very much like an old, uh, Star Trek or an old Twilight Zone episode in the aspect of, yeah, you know, it, it may be showing its age and the effects in certain sequences might be a little janky, but it's the story. And when you've got a really good story that really latches on to you, that story can cure a multitude of special effects sins. At least that's how I've always felt. That's why I enjoy old Star Trek episodes. Yeah, the effects might be a little janky, but... You know, the best episodes carry you through that because the story has has got you. And that's what I find with this movie is is the story really gets me. I really enjoy this movie. I like the characters and I and I genuinely feel for for Scott Carey. You know, the he, he goes through a lot in this. And one of the things I know they, they would end up doing if they remade this is they would they would. I, I'm almost positive they would feel the need to to play up more of him as the tiny person in a giant's world. And it's one of the things uh, I've really noticed in, in subsequent rewatches of this is that he's not in danger until he shrinks to a size in his own home where his home becomes a danger to him. And I think that's really clever. It's something I never really caught before, but it, I think it's one of the things that really works well in the movie because the scene where he goes out for the first time when he's really, really small, he's still of a size where he, he's not, you know, he couldn't be stepped on, for example. You know, he's not that. So he's the size of like a small child. Mm-hmm. So he he's an oddity. He's you know he gets a lot of stares and and you know looks from people, but he's not in danger necessarily. And I and I really like that because if I think if you had a modern remake of this, what they'd be so tempted to do is get him out of the house when he's tiny, and then he's being endangered by you know, people stepping on him or a bird trying to eat him or, you know, something stupid like that. And I mean, that worked really well for, you know, the, the fish out of water sequence of like Ant-Man where it, you know, it's a, it's a man who suddenly finds himself shrunk down to that size. But in this movie where he's, he's shrunk, you know, naturally, it would just make him seem like an idiot to go out of the house at that size and let the world endanger him. So I like the fact that he stays indoors and still isn't safe because then his own home proves incredibly dangerous to him. I think there's something really cool about that. And I just know modern Hollywood couldn't resist the urge to do stupid things with him. <laughs> so I'm really glad that they've, they've left this alone. You know, there's, Certain movies and there's certain characters, despite how much I really, you know, enjoy them and and really would like more of them, that I'm I'm really thankful that, 
you know, that they're just left the way they are. And this is one of those movies. I don't need a sequel and I really don't need a remake. I'm just, I'm happy with it as it stands. I, I think it's a really, uh, you know, it's a, it's a nice, uh, you know, time capsule of its, of its era type of thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with everything you said. The only area where I kind of veer off that slightly is if they made a, uh, a, a remake I mean, at this point, I think it would have to be a remake. I don't think you could really do a sequel necessarily. But if they did do a remake, uh, while I, I agree with everything you said about it, I don't think in any way it, it lessens the impact of this movie. So they want to go ahead and do that. They could do it. I don't care. I probably won't see it unless, you know, it got wonderful reviews and it became tempting for me. But other, right. other than that, I, you know, I, I don't get bothered by them making things that I don't want to see. Uh, the only time where it bothers me, and I think you could probably appreciate this, uh, is when it, it becomes a lost opportunity because of it. Uh, if you're only going to make, you know, uh, just pull out of the, out of, uh, the ether. If you're only gonna make one planet of the apes movie, then make a good one. Don't make a bad one and waste my waste the time and waste the property. Uh, right, you know, right. Because because I'm gonna have to wait years for that to recover if you make a bad one. So that's where it bothers exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. But but other than that, you know, exactly. if they're gonna make a, a bad movie that has nothing to do with a property that you know that's gonna affect me in any way, uh, I just won't see it. <laughs> you know this the. Uh, while I used to be a devotee of the, the Academy Awards back when I was, uh, you know, fairly young, uh, at this point, the, the number of Academy Award winners that I haven't seen are plethora, and uh, and I don't care. You know, it's it, it, the fact that it won the Academy Award is, is of no uh, significance to me unless it's a premise of, you know, that I want to actually see. So... Right. Know, I, I'm veering off the topic a little bit, but I think you, you know where I'm going. So any, oh no, I absolutely agree with. <laughs> so I think uh, at this point, I think we're ready to rate this one. And where do you where do you see it falling? For me, um, this is Jaws uh, because it pretty much ticks all the boxes for me. It's definitely one of those movies that you know if I was flipping channels and and it used to happen when I was a kid. Uh, I don't remember what channel or whatever is probably like WPIX out of New York or something like that. But, you know, whenever I'd be flipping channels and this would be on, I'd end up getting sucked right into it and, and end up watching it, you know, to the end. And this was one of the first things I bought on video when I started working in video and, and video started to come out for sale, uh, you know, back in the early 90s. I remember being so excited when this one hit the stands. I was like, oh, damn, yeah, I love this movie. Let me buy that movie. And I, I don't think it was inexpensive either. For some reason, it sticks in my mind. It was just like 30 bucks, which, you know, for a, for a videotape back then, you know, it's a lot of money, you know. But I, I'm pretty sure that as soon as it, as it came out, I scarfed it up because I just I, I've always had a, a high regard for it. Um. You know, although the the composer's not a name, I had to actually look it up. I couldn't remember who the composer was. Um, Hans J. Salter. Uh, you know, it's not a composer I remembered or anything. Um, and I don't know that this has ever gotten like a full score release or whatever. I enjoy the score. I you know, it it definitely has a very distinctive theme. 
you know, the main theme to the movie, it's very different and, uh, and it's kind of odd, um, but it's, it's cool too. And it, and it has, you know, that, that cool kind of warbly sound to it and everything, but it's a really good score. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites or whatever, but it works really well in the film. Um, I think the performances are top notch. Probably the only area where it might be a little bit lacking is in the quotability. I'm trying to think if there, if there's any like, you know, quotable lines or anything that's, you know, especially quotable in it. And off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything. Um, but I, I mean, just as, uh, the fact that it, it is, in my opinion, and, and again, you know, seemingly borne out by other people's opinions too, one of the top sci-fi films of the 50s, I, I think it's kind of earned that spot. And again, I was really pleased to find that out because I didn't know if I was alone in, in that thought. Because to me, you know, despite there having been a, a lot of, you know, sci-fi movies in the 50s and 60s, you know, uh, you know, some really good ones, some really cheesy ones. There was just a glut of sci-fi movies during that time. You know, the, the top tier for me was always reserved for, you know, the best of the best. You know, it was War of the Worlds. It was The Day the Earth Stood Still. I put this right up there with those. I, I hold it in that higher regard. I think it, you know, it's a different kind of sci-fi movie, but because of the way it's played, I, I think it has earned that spot, you know, to stand along those other classics. So, yeah, for me, it's it's a true sci-fi classic. So, yeah, definitely Jaws. Well, I like the wording at the end there, true sci-fi classic, because I think that is a perfect description. Uh, because what I was thinking how, is how, how do I word this? Because I want to give it Jaws with an asterisk. Uh, and the asterisk is really for the benefit of people who don't think the way I do, uh, for the benefit of the people who see that a movie is older and aren't as open-minded to take it all in. Uh, if, if that's your thing, if you see black and white and you have a problem with that, if you think, you know, practical special effects from the 1950s are a problem for you, then it's not going to be there either. But if you want a pretty solid science fiction premise with you know a lot of human element to it i i don't see any anywhere where this movie flags at all uh i was waiting to see because i know your criteria for giving things just i was waiting to see what you were going to say as far as quotability because i was coming up empty uh so so i, I was you know i, I was not surprised uh, well i was surprised that you rated it just and didn't have a quote for me i figured you were going to pull something out and I was going to say, oh, wow, that is a good line. Uh, but, you know, just the same, even without the, the quotability, uh, you know, I, I think it's a really solid movie and it's not, you know, it's not like it takes all day to watch. It's 81 minutes. It's, it's compact. It's, you know, it, you get, you right. get right to it. Uh, and, and they don't drag it down by trying to give, give you some sort of, real scientific explanation other than you know there was something in this fog that interacted with him uh and i think that you know it benefits from that in this instance so overall like i said jaws with an asterisk if you just you know if you're one of these people who just doesn't like older movies but other than that right. i you know totally recommend it and i do think your your wording of sci-fi classic is is perfect 
it and it goes right in there with the day the earth stood still and you know the thing from another world and you know other movies of that era that are considered classics right. this is right there with them uh invasion of the body snatchers uh you know yeah they, they, they all kind of fall into that same mold as far as i'm concerned Definitely. So that'll do it for the incredible shrinking man. Uh, now, I did have one oh, other thing ahead. for you, real go quick. Ahead. Just, just kind of a, just kind of a fun fact, and also um, one of the, you know, just a little tidbit for people that may really like this movie, but maybe you've never been all that crazy about the ending. So, you know, in addition to being Paul's uh, film score guy, I'm also, you know, the, I'm the Disney guy. I'm the guy that can always tie everything back to Disney, or at least tries his best. So. I do have a Disney connection for you, and, it, and it's one of those things that, to me, has always been kind of a, a, a salve to the ending of the film, especially if you're not crazy about the way the movie ends. So there used to be an attraction. Sadly, it doesn't exist anymore, but there used to be an attraction in Epcot at Walt Disney World. It was called Body Wars. And if you remember the old movie um, Fantastic Voyage, where – the people get shrunk down inside of basically like a little submarine and injected into the human body. That's what body wars was. So you actually board this vehicle that gets miniaturized and then injected into a human body. And you go on this whole adventure, you know, traveling around inside the human body, you know, in, in miniature form. Well, in the queue for that ride, when, when it used to exist, were several different pages. You know, you'd hear different doctors or different people being paged. And one of the pages was, Scott Carey, please report to the deminiaturization uh, briefing lab or briefing room. So Very how cool. I always interpreted that was that he was being asked to come and speak about his experiences now that he had been deminiaturized. And I always really liked that. It was a nice little Easter egg nod to the incredible shrinking man, but also kind of a hopeful thing that, you know, that he, he had survived and that he, you know, somehow he was back again, you know, to where he could go to this, this briefing room. And I always really liked that. I always thought that was, that was really cool. And I'm not sure how many people ever really, caught that little easter egg in there but i always thought that was pretty cool i think the uh the science fiction no prize that they always give because i'm thinking about the, when uh, in the comics when Mag magneto was uh de-aged uh or you know or different characters like they 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 went back and you know they shrunk so far or whatever that it almost had like a rubber band effect like they went as far back as they could and then rubber banded back so I could see that that being the explanation right, for how right. he would get out of this. You know, he shrunk to the point where you can't shrink anymore, and then started, and then it you know re reversed itself at that point. Uh, but you know, that's just getting too far beyond my scientific ability. So <laughs> we'll, on, on that happy note, we'll end this and thank everybody for listening, and thank you, Scott, for coming on and doing this with me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. All right. Everybody, we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.
I was continuing to shrink. To become what? The infinitesimal? What was I? Still a human being? Or was I the man of the future? If there were other bursts of radiation, other clouds drifting across seas and continents, would other beings follow me into this vast new world? So close, the infinitesimal and the infinite. But suddenly I knew they were really the two ends of the same concept. The unbelievably small and the unbelievably vast eventually meet like the closing of a gigantic circle. I looked up, as if somehow I would grasp the heavens, the universe, worlds beyond number, God's silver tapestry spread across the night. And in that moment, I knew the answer to the riddle of the infinite. I had thought in terms of man's own limited dimension. I had presumed upon nature that existence begins and ends is man's conception, not nature's. And I felt my body dwindling, melting, becoming nothing. My fears melted away, and in their place came acceptance. All this vast majesty of creation, it had to mean something. And then I meant something too. Yes, smaller than the smallest. I meant something too. To God, there is no zero. I still exist. <laughs> 